Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. get back to the question, the larger issue about Putin's tax. That's, a, a, that's really Putin's gas hike. That's his gas hike. This, so much of this uh, increase in the gas tax, uh, gas uh, price started uh, uh, weeks leading up to what happened there. Ask your Republican friends, I mean this sincerely, Name me something the National Republican Party is for. Not a joke. No more drilling on federal lands. No more drilling, including offshore. No ability for the oil industry to continue to drill, period. So we established a new civil rights, a new civil rights cause of action for those whose intimate images were shared on the public screen. How many times have you heard, I'll bet everybody knows somebody somewhere along the line, that in an intimate relationship, what happened was the guy takes a revealing picture of his naked friend or whatever in a compromising position, and then literally, in a sense, blackmails him or, or mortifies that person. Send it out. Put it online. Why is gas so expensive and why is the United States inflation rate at a four-time decade high? I had the opportunity to ask the White House why gas down the street is $7, and here's what they said. The obvious reason, we're getting out of a two-year pandemic, when use goes up, price goes up. But the call was predominantly about Ukraine and Russia, so how does that relate? 
Russia is one of the top three producers of oil and it is actually their number one revenue source. Now, with Putin starting this horrific fight between Ukraine and Russia, nobody wants to work with him and do an international trade. So with people being scared of war and limited resources, prices are bound to go up as well. For the people who can't pay $7 for a gallon of gas, there's an app called Gas Buddy that shows you the cheapest gas near you, as well as a link in my bio to donate to the misplaced refugees of Ukraine. Look at the price of gas now! It's $7.55 a gallon! Hey Putin, we're sending you a bill! And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 20th of March, year of our Lord, 2020. Yeah. There we go. That's how we started off. The spinning has begun. We are spinning so fucking bad. That was a TikTok hoe. They're using TikTok hoes to lie to people. Because they know none of their talking points are working. So you got to come up with something. And now we're using TikTok hoes. Really? That, that's what we're rolling with. And then you see that guy losing his shit at the very end. Nancy talking. They're trying everything. But they're not talking about what we're going to lead off with today. And then we're going to do gas. Ukraine. January 6th. More hate. We got hate. But... Hunter Biden's laptop. The president has said, and you have tweeted, that allegations of wrongdoing based on files pulled from Hunter Biden's laptop are Russian disinformation. There is a new book by a political reporter that finds some of the files on there are genuine. Is the White House still going with Russian disinformation? I think it's broadly known and widely known, Peter, that there was a broad range of Russian disinformation back in 2020. Okay. And um, I've got a quick clarification and two questions about presidential conflicts of interest in foreign affairs. Uh, the first brief clarification is uh, the New York Times reported this week that the first son remains under criminal investigation. Does the president still intend to stay out of that case? Yes, it's the Department of Justice and I will point you to them. And uh, my two questions about conflicts of interest in foreign affairs. First, I have a question about Russia and then one about China. Um, on Russia, uh, you told me last year that you were unfamiliar with the Senate report that alleged that the first son, or a company linked to the first son, received $3.5 million from the richest woman in Russia. Uh, subsequent reporting indicates that President Biden, when he was vice president, had a dinner in Georgetown with the same woman in 2015. Um, this uh, Yelena Ballerina, she has not been sanctioned yet by the U.S. government. How is President Biden navigating conflicts of interest when it comes to uh, sanctioning people who have done business with his family? And can you explain to us what this $3.5 million was for? I don't have any confirmation of the accuracy of that report, so I have no more further details. About the conflicts of interest, though, how he's navigating those when deciding sanctions. What would be his conflicts of interest? Uh, well, the son's company allegedly got $3.5 million. From which I have no confirmation of, and he has continued to sanction oligarchs more than we've ever sanctioned in the past. So I'm not sure that's a conflict of interest. Go ahead. Thank you. Go ahead. I think we're moving on because we got to get some more people. Go ahead. My question about... 
the conflict of interest when it comes to China is last year the First Sun's attorney said that he divested from a Chinese investment fund controlled by Chinese state-owned entities. Uh, we have received not even basic transparency about who bought out his stake, when this happened, and how much money changed hands. Did he actually divest? And if so, can you agree He's to the basic He's a private citizen. He doesn't work for the government. I'd point you to his representatives. Thank you. I think we're done here. Thank you very much. Go ahead. Biden secret emails. A really fishy story. The Post claimed that the emails were found on a laptop computer that was brought to a repair shop in Delaware in the spring of 2019. The FBI is now investigating whether those alleged Hunter Biden emails are actually connected to a larger foreign intelligence operation. They may be related to a foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence operation. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence. Foreign intelligence operation. For all we know, these emails are made up. The information found on the laptop may be part of a Russian disinformation campaign. Part of a Russian uh, disinformation uh, effort. Described by many intelligence experts as having hallmarks. All the hallmark, hallmarks, rather. All the hallmarks of a Russian. Or Russian. Russian disinformation. Russian disinformation. Disinformation campaign. This is a classic example of the right. There's no evidence that Hunter Biden has done anything wrong. There is no evidence of any wrongdoing between uh, uh, by Biden, by Joe Biden, or by Hunter Biden. There's no evidence that Joe Biden actually did anything wrong or did anything to sway things in Hunter Biden's favor. He's denied that his son ever lobbied him for anything. There is nothing, Hunter, there is nothing wrong that Vice President Biden did. President Trump has falsely accused your son of doing something wrong while serving on a company board in Ukraine. I want to point out there's no evidence of wrongdoing by either one of you. There is no evidence that anybody did anything illegal uh, regarding the Bidens uh, and, and Ukraine, and, and Joe Biden was carrying out U.S. policy. President Trump wanted dirt on Joe and Hunter Biden. Trump's claims about wrongdoing here are unsubstantiated. We have looked. Lots of out outlets have looked. Hunter Biden did nothing wrong. Vice President Biden uh, did nothing wrong. And every single media outlet has said that there are no, there's no there there to these allegations, lies, and smears. PolitiFact found no evidence to support the idea that Joe Biden advocated with his son's interests in mind. It's true that there's no evidence of any wrongdoing by Vice President Biden or that Hunter Biden uh, broke any laws at all. What it confirms is that Hunter Biden is a person of integrity. Hunter has done nothing wrong. I've never read a memoir uh, like this one before. This is Hunter Biden's book, Beautiful Things. It's breathtaking. There is no evidence of any wrongdoing by either Joe or Hunter Biden. The bogus investigation of, of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Let's be clear, Hunter Biden didn't do anything illegal and his father, the vice president, didn't do anything illegal or unethical. It demonstrates the you know lifetime of integrity that, uh, that, have, uh, that have been representing, represented by the Bidens uh, for, their, for their entire careers. My son did nothing wrong. I did nothing wrong. There is anything real in them. Yeah, but and that didn't stop any from, from, from reporting the Mueller and the dossier and all I that stuff. Now, I understand that you have a lot of resentment oh, about it. Now, now we have ethics. Okay, now I, we have ethics. Now that now it's did, don't you dare. Don't you dare act like newsrooms didn't have ethics in 2017 and 2018. Well, I you know, know they, they did. So, well, you, can't, you can don't dare me all you want, Brian. I've been doing this for 30 years. So say whatever you want. It's my view. And I have a right to say it. I was so invited your view on the is show. that the news media was you unethical with Mueller? Hang on, say one at a time. I don't quite get what you're saying. It's my view. Let me bring in Sarah Fisher, and then I want to move on to Google briefly. But go, go on, Sarah. Say, 
I think this conversation is so critical, even though it can get tentious, it's actually a matter of, can you have two things be true at once? Can you have a story that needs scrutiny from all outlets? Because we don't know whether or not it's true, right? Axios, we're all right. trying to figure out whether or not the story is true. And we deserve to do that. But we also need to think about the bigger picture, which is, God forbid, this story was tied to some sort of bigger um, disinformation effort to penetrate our elections. We also need to consider that. And that's why I think it's critical that you're not just seeing, you got to see the forest through the trees. You got to look at this particular story about the Hunter Biden. Yeah, but no one looked through the forest through the trees with the president. I mean, it's always one-sided. Now it's time to look at the forest. I, all I'm saying is let's do it universally, okay? I didn't, I didn't discard the Mueller stuff. I was much more skeptical because I knew the sourcing. And I knew where I came from on Capitol Hill, where I have stood in the building for the past few decades. I had real reason to doubt that stuff, and I constantly did. And it turned out a lot of it was a bunch of bunk. So when you say Mueller stuff, there are people in prison. That skepticism. We have to use that with the Biden stuff. Too. Let's use the skepticism, but don't ignore it. Okay, so let's just, Brian, come back in this, and then I'm going to ask Tony to help us through the Google case. T uh, Brian, go ahead. I, I agree with you. It should not be ignored. But not. A, I think there's a difference between reporters looking into it in their newsrooms versus going on the air with it when it's unvetted. And what oh, we're in sure. right now is break. You never did that with Trump stuff. That, that's just of BS. Hang on a second, Susan. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah, yeah, Susan, just a second. If you both speak, we can't hear either of you. Brian, go ahead. I understand. Let me just say briefly, it's grievance politics. It comes from the right. It happens every day. Newsrooms in America are very careful about this stuff. I know viewers and readers don't see it, but it happens every day. Slow, cautious vetting happens every day. Okay, I do want to move on. So what about the Americans who really today only want me to ask you about Hunter Biden's laptop? How are you going to get them to see that you are fighting for them when they're so By dead the way, set against you? It's, it's, there's nothing to any of that. Nothing to any of that. It's all a smear. Every major outfit, every serious investigator has pointed out that this is a smear. This is classic Trump. We have four days left, and all of a sudden, there's a laptop. And you may, you may recall, there's also talk about four months before, there was a similar thing that somebody had, allegedly. There's overwhelming evidence that from the intelligence community that the Russians are engaged. I mean, look, this is my son's an honorable man, and all the investigations that were done around the issue of what was going on in Ukraine, if you notice, every one of the major people who work for Trump during the impeachment went under oath and under oath said Biden did his job. No law was broke. Biden, this Biden, did his job. Hunter Biden broke no laws. That was the testimony, their testimony from Republicans and intelligence community people. So I think that it's, uh, you know, I, I just think, look, politics has become too crass, too dirty, too ugly. And the, and the perpetrator of an awful lot of this has been, he didn't start at all, but he has taken to a new level, this president. One question? Okay, sure. I wish you would interview Joe Biden like you interviewed me. It would be so good. You know what? You the, like this, the, I thought. I thought you I don't mind it. I don't mind it. But when I watch him walk out of a store, he's in the midst of a scandal. His family is corrupt. Okay, he's corrupt. He's a corrupt politician. And he's walking with an ice cream. And the question the media asks him, what kind of ice cream, what flavor ice cream do you have? And he's in the midst of a scandal. He's not. And he's taking, he's of course not. he is, no. Leslie. Come on. Of course he is. You see that? You have the Senate So you're like, you're like, you're like big tech. You're protecting him. And everyone is, except for yeah, but you're exactly, people. You're, you're taking something 
that was investigated by a Republican committee. You think it's okay for the mayor of Moscow's wife to give him millions and millions of dollars, three and a half million dollars, to give his family three and a half? Do you think it's okay for Hunter Biden to say to say that we're giving we're giving the big guy ten percent of this massive amount of money they're taking in? Do you think it's okay for all of these horrible things that you've seen where they're getting hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars, where China gives them a billion and a half dollars to manage the family, a billion and a half dollars, and then he's supposed to negotiate? Let me tell you, it's the biggest, second biggest scandal. So, the biggest scandal was when they spied on my campaign. They spied on my campaign. There's lesson. no real evidence of that. The media is. Uh, the corrupt. The in my opinion, problem. the media is corrupt. But, you know, but you the talk. media is fake. And frankly, if I didn't have social media, I'd have no way of getting out my voice. You know what you told me a long time ago when I asked why you keep saying fake in yeah. media? Yeah. You said to me, I say that because I need to dis uh, discredit you so that when you say negative things about me, no one will believe me. I don't have to discredit you. But that's what you you've told me. You've discredited yourself. You told me that. Leslie, you've discredited yourself. When you say that you're not going to cover Biden, you're going to ask him what flavor ice cream he has, okay? That's not Instead true. of why did Hunter get three and a half million dollars from Moscow? Instead of why is an energy company paying your son $183,000 a month or whatever they're paying him? And he has no experience in energy. You know, you discredit yourself. I don't have to discredit so, you. So this story about Hunter and his laptop, some repair shop found it. The source is uh, Steve Bannon and Rudy Giuliani. I don't know anything about that. I just know it's a laptop and, and they haven't. And you're making this one of the hottest, most important issues in your rallies. I, mean, I don't know about the two gentlemen the you mentioned. This is the most important issue in the country. It's right a very now. important issue to From find out whether China. or not a man's corrupt who's running for president, who's accepted money from China <laughs> and from Ukraine and from Russia. All these yeah, I think that's have an important been investigated issue. And it's incredible the way you can try and say this and sit there and look me in the eye and say it. A he accepted committee. money, his family, from Russia, from Ukraine from China and from other places. And His brother, who didn't have experience, became a big builder in Iraq without experience. Take a look at what's going on, Leslie. And then you say how that shouldn't be discussed. I'm saying- It's the biggest scandal out there, Leslie. And you think it's the biggest issue to campaign on? I think it's, this, I think it's one of the biggest scandals I've ever seen. And you don't cover it. Because you want to talk about well because it can't be verified you want to talk I'm about insignificant you. things i'm telling you of course it can be verified excuse we, me we they found the laptop leslie leslie can't be verified. what can't be verified the laptop why do you say that because even the family hasn't the family on the laptop he's gone into hiding for five days he's gone into hiding he's preparing for your debate oh it's taking him five days. Be Okay, you know what also the United States government says? The FBI says this 
laptop is not Russian disinformation. So what are you talking about here? This laptop is real. It's not just the laptop. There's other emails. There's text messages. They are real. So okay. according to the Guess U.S. What? government, the I know FBI that you're trying to move this. everybody to look at that, but that's not what we're hearing from Why the FBI. Why don't you want to report but this? What, this is the one of the what, most powerful no, families Liz, in Washington. Liz, the Liz. Biden family. And you're okay? You're okay with our interest being sold out to profit? Uh, Liz, Joe Biden and his family, when when we're suffering during a pandemic from communist yes, China, he's doing shady business absolutely. deals Liz, with as communist you know China. You're well, comfortable, okay? As, as you know perfectly well, I'm a journalist and a reporter, and I follow the facts. And there has never been any Which, issues yes, in terms this. of corruption. Now, let me ask you this. Yesterday, the wait, FBI... Wait, wait, the wait, wait. FBI How do you know and, that? I'm talking about reporting and any evidence. I'm talking to you now... Okay, I would love if you guys would start doing that digging and start doing that verification. No, we're not going to do your work for you. I want to ask you a question. The FBI, it's a journalist's contrary, job. It's a journalist's job to, to, to find out if this is verified. I want to ask you a question about the FBI press conference. Now, we're not surprised. Is anybody really surprised? I mean, this is what our media has done most of our lives. They just haven't been this blatant. Now they're just overtly Democrat propagandist. I mean, if it's going to hurt them, they bury it. We carried PP tapes. This very week, you saw the influencer in the beginning during that briefing, Peppermint fucking Patty literally said Russia stole our election in 2016, which has been disproven completely. $30 million in three years. But they buried it. And you saw Peppermint Patty, Duck, CNN. I mean, that's Seltzer and then two minutes. People yelling at people. These are the biggest perpetrators. These guys. Stahl, Reed, whatever. Reed, Amapur, Tapper, Seltzer, Blitzer. They outright made sure that it was buried. They just didn't fucking care. NewsGuard head still says it's a hoax. 1020 hoax, 316.22, huge ad saying agency says they'll use NewsGuard to avoid placing ads on unreliable news. And here he is now. This is the guy in charge of NewsGuard, and it's getting fed everywhere by Microsoft, Apple, Google. I'm editor, uh, reporter, author, obviously, as well, but uh, particularly as somebody who's looked at a lot of reporting through the years and made a decision as to its integrity. Uh, how do you expect Twitter and Facebook to do that? Do they even have the ability to actually do those kinds of jobs? Well, that's exactly the point. They don't. And, and, and every time they try through a series of inconsistent actions and policies, uh, they look that much worse. I mean, I have a theory here. My personal opinion is that there's a high likelihood that uh, this story is a hoax, uh, maybe even a hoax uh, perpetrated by uh, the Russians again. But it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is that uh, people ought to be able to read it and decide, and they can decide by reading uh, the New York Post and then comparing what the New York Post says to what uh, lots of other media institutions say. That's the way it's supposed to work. What Twitter and Facebook have decided is they've finally admitted that they are going to be editors, too. The only problem is 
Uh, they don't have anyone who's qualified to be editors, so they have they know absolutely nothing about what they're doing. And what they've done instead is they have pumped up a story because their inconsistent actions open them to an attack. Um, what should have been done, uh, what I wish uh, that they would do is what Microsoft does, which is use a service like NewsGuard, which tells people something about the reliability and trustworthiness of what they're about to read. Uh, the nutrition label and the rating that we have for the New York Post would tell people that they tend to favor President Trump, that they've published irresponsible stuff in the past, and that would be a way to start this debate which would be joined by other news organizations, which I hope are out there trying to report on uh, the bona fides of what really looks like a phony story. Now, the reality is this all came about because the New York Times did it. And in paragraph 26, they admitted it. It was real. And they ran this at the same time, which has now been pulled out. Free speech is being suppressed. We have to listen. And they got crushed by their people because the New York Times is what every network goes off of. If they print it, they print it. It's just the way it works. And now they're going to retract the free speech article because, of course, their viewers don't like it. Jeff Jarvis, this is appalling. The both sideism of the New York Times comes out in full force. And the right burning books. Sure, Jeff. The editorial lead is the worst of it. No, we have not lost our right to speak. We are exercising our right to speak around the gatekeepers that include old white male privilege powerful. There you go. I hate polls as much as I hate from on high newspaper editorials, for they both preempt the public conversation. Note to how the Times tis tis liberals are shutting down loaded choice of verb there, bigoted, anti-democratic, and untrue speech. If you doubt for a moment the Times turned to sympathy with the white white right let this end those doubts and yes but attack on the left for making white people uncomfortable here is white victimhood naked to behold the progressive movement in america has been a force for good in many ways they put in there he tried to defend himself they removed the article pretty amazing to see people still hanging in to Hunter biden and this is after this is march 18th it's proven Seltzer, they didn't run it, didn't cover it, New York Times finally reveals the Hunter Biden laptop is real and reliable sources ignores the biggest story of the day, the new hard news CNN, New York Times front page, all the news is fit to print once Biden is elected. New York Times. Here's just a down memory road. Vanity Fair, we carried the P tape. Here's CNN, the anatomy of the post dubious Hunter story and everything they could print on Trump. NPR, do we remember? They literally ran an article on why they're not running it because it's Russian disinformation. Palmer Report, he's still all in. What he says is this. All the New York Times did today was confirm that some real Hunter Biden emails were planted on the laptop the Republicans pretended was his. This means a fake scandal involved hacking and was even bigger crime than we thought. Many Republican operatives could go to prison for it. The people who concocted the scandal were always going to argue that honestly, 
thought the laptop was really Hunter Biden's. But that reasonable doubt argument goes out the window now that they apparently stole his emails and planted them on a laptop. The DOJ doesn't bring criminal charges in instances where it thinks it's going to lose at trial. This new development could mean the difference in terms of perpetrators and the phony scandal. This development also raises serious questions about the New York Post decision to run the story. Republicans are declaring victory over today's development because they always declare victory on everything, even when it's clear loss. But that won't help them any to oppose, and as opposed to most liberal activists who always declare defeat, even when it's clear they won. Bondingo report. The leftist lunatics have gone from this is Russian disinformation to, okay, laptop is real, but it's planted. You saw Peppermint Patty initial. You saw Peppermint fucking... Ignore it. Most of the networks punted. They didn't even print it. There was no printing of that article. This is the part that bothers me. These people signed a paper knowing they were lying just because they didn't want Trump to become president again. And that's what really happened. That scares the shit out of me. And you can say, well, with Falky, just a second. Love you, be safe. Sorry, wife texted. You can say with Falky, yeah, we got a major problem with the medical industry. It's true. But if you can't even trust the intel... That's like right now, I don't believe anything anybody's saying about Ukraine. Why would I? They said Russian P-tapes were real. And they say, a bi- I mean, the things that are on that, the things that have been admitted from guns lying on 4473, circuit service agents trying to destroy gun shops to protect Biden's son. That's scary ass shit. Miranda Devine, never forget who signed the dishonest election eve letter claiming the emails published by the New York Post from Hunter Biden's laptop had all the classic earmarks of Russian disinformation. They destroyed the reputation for signing the letter and then not recanting for 16 months and, count, and counting. Some of these people appear on CNN and MSNBC daily and talk about Ukraine. It's doubtful that anyone who signed this letter cared if it was true. They wanted Biden elected, and that's what happened. It's true. I mean, just a just just to do stroll. Here's just a few articles on the same meme from our media. For everything you do, I'd like to swallow you, and every day I'm gonna blame you.
Um, when Governor Reynolds of Iowa gave the response to President Biden's State of the Union address, she said, uh, among other things, um, Republican governors and legislators are showing what conservative leadership looks like. And quite honestly, it looks hideous. It is horrendous. The don't say gay bill is going to um, hurt LGBTQ kids and their families. The Stop Woke Act, um, all to protect from discomfort and anguish white kids from learning about the true history of our country when no one worries about the black kids in those in those classrooms who are learning a false or woefully inadequate uh, history of this country. And what makes what's happening in Florida look like child's play is what they're doing in what they're doing. Uh, I'm here in, in Austin, what they did in Texas. Um, where the governor um, got uh, gender-affirming care considered child abuse and is now investigating parents who are trying to pr provide gender-affirming care for their trans kids. And in Idaho, Judy, they're going one extra step and now making it, following the Texas anti-abortion uh, template, making it a felony for parents to provide, try to find gender-affirming care for their trans children outside of Idaho. And in Missouri, this is not LGBTQ, but this is about, uh, about abortion. Again, using the Texas template to say that you, um, you can't get an abortion after a certain amount of time, but then making it a felony for someone to try to get those services that they can't get in Missouri, making it a felony if they go outside, out of state to do so. This is the template that um, Governor DeSantis is following, that Republican governors are following. And it's one that really, they talk a lot about freedom and choice and things like that um, for, for you know, their constituents. But quite honestly, if their constituents aren't white, male, cisgender, heterosexual, it seems like they have no room for anyone like that in their states. Well, I don't know if I'm interested in it. Um, it's not something I'm pursuing. I just, I, I want our party to be better. I want this country to be better. Um, in terms of, yeah, I think somebody will carry the torch of, of what I call actually pro-American Republicanism. Uh, I don't know who that necessarily will be. I'm focusing on the country first stuff. There's a lot of desire out there for something different. But look, if Donald Trump gets the Republican nomination, there are many of us that will move heaven and earth to ensure he doesn't win. I think that's the most important that he cannot be president again. I got an invitation to do Tucker Carlson's show tonight, and there's no way I'll go on his show for a number of reasons. But first, let me state that his insistence that the West was provoking war with Putin, his spreading lies about biolabs, and his continued spewing of conspiracy theories are nothing but complete evil. His show is full of Russian propaganda and not news. And I will not validate his show by making an appearance. I do not want to be associated with it in any way. And we all know what would happen. And we all know what the goal is. We know the interview would be promoted to get more viewers, to make more money, to further empower his garbage. And let's talk tactics. When Tucker interviews someone in a hostile way, he interrupts and laughs when he's been caught in a lie. And after the segment's over, he brings on another guest to try to discredit any statement made by the prior guest without counter. He's not interested in conversations. He's only interested in himself. And at the end of the day, he'll 
continue to use his platform to deceive his all too trusting viewers and to further his own sense of power. The situation in Ukraine is serious and the outlook is dire. And this moment requires serious conversation and decisive action, not a self-serving showboat clamoring for more clicks tonight. So rather than validate his propaganda programming, I'm gonna use my effort to support the Ukrainian people. So if you're interested in joining me, please consider donating to the Stand With Ukraine Fund. It's at countryfirst.com, country1st.com. And 100% of the money raised will go to humanitarian aid for those still in Ukraine and for those who've become refugees. Tucker has made it clear he stands with Putin and his war against freedom. I stand with Ukraine, democracy, and the men and women willing to fight and die for their country. Finally, Sophia and I want to offer our prayers for Benjamin Hall, a Fox News reporter injured in Ukraine. The job they do is dangerous and appreciated. This makes Tucker's position all the more disgusting. Donald Trump, I mean, I was in the Oval Office and told him, Mr. President, if you pull these troops out of Syria, you're going to lose a seat at the negotiating table. He, he not, not basically, he told me, he goes, who cares? Who cares about Syria? I mean, I was blown away. And that's what people that go around and say none of this would happen under Donald Trump. It is a very convenient forgetting of how awful he was at foreign policy and his complete love towards, uh, you know, authoritarian people. Look, be, you know, if you think President Biden is being weak on this, say it, right? I think there are certain things he's certainly being weak on. But let's not try to whitewash who Donald Trump was. Donald Trump empowered Vladimir Putin. Let's be very clear about that. Oh, fuck yourself. Fuck you all. Fuck you all. We don't want you here in D.C. Keep coming you, around. Fuck around and find out. Do you feel like fuck do you, you. Do you represent a group of fuck people you. who don't believe fuck in America? You fuck you. Really angry. Fuck you. That is, that is straight up triggering. Fuck you all. God bless you. God bless America. Have a nice day, sir. I hope your day gets better. Yo, fuck yourself. I like America and I like freedom. No, you don't. Sorry, You're a fucking told. baby. You guys are fucking babies. You think we're asking you to fucking storm the beaches of Normandy? You're a fucking man. Get a fucking job.
No, I'm not. You're a fucking idiot. No, yes, I do understand what America's about. You don't fucking get to tell people what America's about. You think you are the people? No, no, you're a bunch of fucking fascist, racist assholes. That's not freedom. Freedom without responsibility is fucking childish bullshit. That's what you don't understand. No, fuck you. Fuck you. Say it loud. Fuck you too. You know, if you take three steps back, the problem with the debate that we're having over Ukraine and Russia, and particularly with biolabs in Ukraine, isn't that people disagree about what the facts are. It's that nobody involved seems to be able to think clearly, think rationally, think empirically. Everyone seems to have gone crazy, and that's bad because the people who have gone crazy are the ones making all of the decisions. So it's not really about this specific issue it's about our leaders' capacity to lead. But the bioweapon story is just a perfect illustration. So we just talked to Tulsi Gabbard, who was denounced as treasonous and potentially a murderer by a sitting U.S. senator. Admittedly, it was Mitt Romney, but he spoke for many. Because she said, look, Toria Newland, Undersecretary of State, has said under oath there are biolabs in Ukraine. And the contents of those labs because it's a war zone, they haven't been secured, could wind up in the wrong hands. To which Tulsi Gabbard said, holy smokes, this is a big deal. I serve in the U.S. Army. We don't want that. By the way, we know that biolabs can sometimes cause massive problems for the world. I think we've just seen that. So then, so that was Tulsi Gabbard's point. The New York Times was quick to denounce us for even talking about the subject. Oh, don't call them bioweapons. We never alleged the United States was making bioweapons. We don't know that. What we said is what's factually true, which is there are stores, we learned this from the U.S. government, of Soviet-era bioweapons in Ukraine that for some reason have not yet been destroyed. That's a huge problem, potentially. And the New York Times admitted that in their attack of us. Here's the quote. We'll just put it up. Mr. Pope, this is Robert Pope, who runs the program, had warned that Russia's invasion of Ukraine may damage laboratories in the country that conduct research and disease surveillance and are supported by the United States. He noted that some of the facilities may contain pathogens once used for Soviet-era bioweapons programs, but he emphasized the Ukrainian labs did not have the ability to manufacture bioweapons. Okay, well, we quoted him too. That's true, and it's terrifying. And if we can't respond to it because everyone's afraid of being called a tool of a foreign country, people who are trying their very hardest with the greatest level of sincerity to protect the United States, then we have lost the thread. Then we can't lead the world. We can't even lead our own country if people like that are in charge. Yeah, we are so dependent on them. We depend on them for everything that we know. Um, and, and as I said, everything that we have covered over the last two weeks is dependent on when those journalists, Richard Engel and Cal Perry, need to sleep, when they're available to tell us what they're seeing. Um, your thoughts about how indispensable that work is and feels to the journalists themselves, why they do it? There is no free society, there is no democracy, and probably could be no peace without the free flow of information, without journalists. And, you know, in the last few years in this country, uh, it's been appealing for some people to call journalists the enemy of the people. And, you know, I think it, 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 it's illuminating to 
look at who takes that sentiment to the next level and actually kills journalists, uh, it's illuminating to consider who you, if you believe that, who you're in bed with. You know, you are, you are in bed with Vladimir Putin, uh, with Saudi Arabia, um, it's, uh, with ISIS. Uh, that's where that sentiment leads, and, and it's toxic in this country. And, you know, very clearly right now, the freedom of the world depends on what happens in Ukraine, and we depend on journalists to know what's happening there so our government can, can make good decisions. So, you know, let's, let's set our house in order in that sense. Uh, we will help ourselves and the world enormously if we do. And obviously, um, he, he was unnamed by you, but I'll, I'll uh, beat the spoiler alert here. Donald Trump famously called journalists the enemy of the people. The editor of the New York Times went to see him and made the case that it endangers not journalists here exclusively, but to your point, journalists all around the world that don't operate in a free society. And, and I wonder your thoughts about this exodus. I mean, the New York Times empty. So there you just have a short section of Capehart. All the Kinziger, because Kinziger, once again, is a great guy. He hates Trump. And that pussy ass, I'm not going to go on Tucker. You got people talking about the biolabs, which is a true fact. And we don't have any information. There's no proof, proof that we're not paying for it. There's no proof of anything. They just finally admitted after being asked and lying that there are biolabs there. So Tulsi Gabbard talks about it. And you get called. Well, we'll t- cover it in a second. Uh, you got Tucker talking about it. You have the people dying in, in uh, freaking the reporters and MSNBC doing horrible shit. We got more on that. I mean, look at this. Republicans. It's a real thing. Republicans are the extreme people. They've done polls this week. We're going to get to that in a second. 17%. Really? That, that's what we need to do right now? Biden warns Democrats it'll be a sad two years of Republicans take control of Congress. This is the Hill. These are real articles. Tulsi Gabbard. Treasonous lies. Mitt Romney, you've called me a treasonous liar for stating the fact that there are 25-plus U.S.-funded biolabs in Ukraine, which have breached, would release a spread deadly pathogen to U.S. world and therefore must be secured in order to prevent new pandemic. Your claim that securing these labs or even calling for securing is treasonous and will lead to loss of life when the exact opposite is obviously the truth. The spread of pathogens is what caused the loss of life, not the prevention of such spread. Senator Romney, please provide evidence that what you said is untrue, what I said is untrue and treasonous. If you cannot, you should do the honorable thing, apologize, and resign from the fucking Senate. He needs just to resign. This this because we're not going to cover it. Other reporters. Tucker Carlson needs to be tried at The Hague as a disinformation agent for Putin. Carlson is a war criminal aiding and abetting the hostile enemy of the U.S. while thousands of American veterans are risking their lives helping Ukraine defend the free world from Putin. Somebody says, honey, I asked you, wanted to supersize your value meal. Which is pretty funny. Cray, cray. Cray, cray. Then we get to the ugly. What a tragedy. A cameraman died covering the war for a TV network that airs a pro-Putin propagandist as top-rated primetime host. Our hearts with the families, friends, and colleagues of cameraman Pierre Babla, those lives covering the war in Ukraine. CNN stands with you and your loved ones. But the Washington Post, Margaret Sullivan, summing it up succinctly. 
If you're wondering about what sort of calm and impartial judgment is required to become an ombudsman, she's the oddbudsman. She's supposed to be on the up and up. But it's everywhere. There's a Democrat. Tornado hits Florida home with Don't Say Gay author. Representative Joe Harding's Oklahoma home was among those damaged by severe weather in Central Florida. The Oklahoma Republican was not at home, though. Family was. What an absolutely despicable thing to say. Get help, bro. Because I'm not a believer, but the tornado that just ripped apart the home of author Florida Don't Say Lay Law is making me reconsider. It's who they are. New York Times reporter says this, because now we're going to segue to what they're saying for Ukraine. I would love to just um, game out where we would be right now if Donald Trump was still president and Vladimir Putin had invaded uh, Ukraine. First of all, uh, Trump would already have pulled us out of NATO because that's what he wanted to do. He had already started pulling uh, American troops out uh, of, of Europe. The Pentagon kind of stalled that until Biden came into office. Uh, the first thing he would have said is it's not our problem. Ukraine is not our problem. That's it. Go off and do, you know, this is not our business. And NATO at this point would have been completely divided. You would see disunity. You would see other NATO countries peeling off. What are we going to do? The alliance would be broken. So let's make sure when Trump is is saying this stuff about how, you know, how much differently. Just if, if President Trump was president right now, yeah. we'd be in a completely different place. Rich. He just let them have it. That's, that's what she said. But now we find out, look at this. They're going to let Russia build nukes and uh, nuclear power plants. Russia's broker in the Iran deal. And missiles were fired toward the U.S. consulate. Yeah, we don't have anybody there. This very week, Pisaki, I said it, here's the information. Hacked 2016 election during briefing on combating disinformation. All week, all you've heard, instead of saying Biden fucked this up, Biden didn't prepare, he didn't move the weapons in time, he's done nothing right, it's a total clusterfuck, inflation's killing us, gas is killing us. This is what they covered on Ukraine. Is it more of a, a morning person or an afternoon person? Because people are often divided in those ways. So I'm just curious. That is true. Now, uh, to de-link it from the specific question, he is more of an evening person. But I don't know what analysis you'll provide, but I'll look forward to reading tomorrow. Can you lay out for us why the administration sees MIGs as provocative and javelins and stingers as not provocative? Well, first, javelins and stingers are defensive weapons. Uh, MIGs or planes are offensive weapons, which are a different type of military system. General McKenzie told the uh, Armed Services Committee that from everything that he can see, uh, the IRGC is a, a terrorist organization. Is the White House willing to delist the IRGC from the foreign terrorist organization list in order to get a deal with Iran? We're still in the negotiations, so I'm not going to speculate or outline from here what the final details look like. And these are likely the the group responsible for firing missiles at U.S. facilities in Iraq. So as long as Americans aren't killed, are there are there no consequences for something like that, all in an effort to get a nuclear deal? Again, you're 
speculating something that is not even finalized. 100 grenade launchers, 5,000 rifles, 1,000 pistols, 400 machine guns, and 400 shotguns. Are you saying those items are not offensive weapons? They're weapons that help the Ukrainian people fight against an invasion by a foreign country. They can be used offensively, can they not? Again, they're weapons. What I'm talking about is weapons that can be yes. used to the, fight. The answer is yes. I mean, although you don't want to say it, that answer to that question is yes. And so, obviously, you're trying to make this distinction between offensive. Well, what we're talking about. Let me weapons. finish. Let me finish. Well, let me we're finish. Let me finish. My, let me finish my answer. No, you are. No, I was finishing a point, and then you can respond to mine. Okay, go ahead. All right, you're making this distinction between offensive and defensive. Hey, Jen, you put out a list of all of the military yeah. equipment included in that $400 million, $800 million yeah. that's being provided to Ukraine. Among those items, let me read them to you, 100 grenade launchers, 5,000 rifles, 1,000 pistols, 400 machine guns, and 400 shotguns. Are you saying those items are not offensive weapons. They're weapons that help the Ukrainian people fight against an invasion by they a foreign be, country. They can be used offensively, can they not? Again, they're weapons. What I'm talking about is weapons that can be yes. used to the, fight. The answer is yes. I mean, although you don't want to say it, that answer to that question is yes. And so, obviously, you're trying to make this distinction between offensive Well, what we're talking about, let me weapons. finish, let me finish. Well, let me we're finish. Let me finish, let me finish my answer. No, you are, no, I was finishing a point, and then you can respond to my Okay, answer. go ahead. All right, you're making this distinction between offensive and defensive weapons. Anybody that looks at that list of weapons that I just mentioned, they would say, clearly they're offensive. If a Ukrainian military officer or someone who is enlisted has one of these weapons, they can take out a Russian military official of some sort with these weapons. They're offensive in nature. So why not provide more offensive weapons like this to the Ukrainian military? Well, first of all, we are providing a range of rifles, et cetera. There is a difference between a plane and planes and massive military systems. I think anybody would recognize this. Uh, and what we're talking about, which is giving rifles and pistols to many of them farmers and people living in countrysides to defend themselves. I think there's a difference that most people recognize. Thank you, everyone, so much. Have a nice day. But we've seen the president been so far unwilling to draw a red line on the kinds of atrocities that we're going to watch from the sidelines. But we've seen maternity wards being bombed, uh, illegal weapons being used, pediatric hospitals being targeted. Um, President Obama drew the red line for Syria at chemical weapons. So is there any thought process about what we're willing to watch happen? Before well, there's... Jackie, I think it's important to reiterate as often as we can that what we're seeing is horrific, what we're seeing is barbaric, and the steps that the president has taken and led the world in taking have essentially led the Russian financial system to be on the brink of collapse. Uh, we have provided more military assistance to the Ukrainian military and the Ukrainian government than any other country in the world and more historic assistance than any other year to Ukraine in history. And we're doing that so that we can support them in this difficult moment. So I would say that uh, at this moment in time, we have been hardly on the sidelines. We have been leading this effort around the world to respond to every step and every escalatory step that President Putin and the Russians are taking. Concerned that if we don't draw the line at something like chemical weapons, that it'll make it easier for malign actors to 
use them in the future because they'll just go unpunished? Well, Jackie, I think that you heard the president say on Friday that there would be severe consequences and the world would respond if they were to use chemical weapons. And what we have been doing uh, over the course of the last several weeks, if not months, is providing as much information to the global community, to the media, and to others about what to expect. And when you have President Putin suggesting and Russian, uh, Russian officials suggesting that the United States and Ukrainians are the ones uh, who are working on a, a chemical weapons program, it's clear that this is it your sense, Jonathan, that that the U.S. is prepared, that NATO is prepared if Putin does go off uh, in a direction that we don't we're, I, you know, don't want him to go. I want to believe that NATO and the United States are, are prepared for that situation. Um, one of the things that I th one of the criticisms against the president that I think was valid was that he kept communicating what the United States would not do, communicating what he would not do and instead has gone mute on those things, won't talk about those things, would only talk about the things, he's only now talking about the things that he's doing, and that is exa exactly what he should be doing. But, you know, I just want to push back a little bit on this, uh, you said, underlying unity. Sure, there's some underlying unity, but I, I, it's a little aggravating that um, certain Republicans, particularly in the Senate, especially if they're thinking of running for president, are they're playing games at a time when the president of the United States and the Western Alliance are go are trying to contain uh, trying to contain Putin, and you can't argue that the president has taken too long. He's not doing enough when you just voted against the 1.5 trillion dollar omnibus omnibus bill that had millions of dollars of aid for Ukraine in that bill. So this, this sort of domestic play that Republicans are bringing to foreign policy, I think is, is regrettable. And I hope going forward, especially if we get to that situation where the United States and the, and the world is, is grappling with a chemical or biological attack on Ukraine, that you know, folks think better about what they're saying about the president and, and the United States and what they're both trying to accomplish. Yeah. I'm a glass half full kind of guy, so, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I rarely praise Ted Cruz, but Ted Cruz for the last few years has been pretty much right on Ukraine and Russia. And he's, he's been very aggressive. A lot of Republican senators have been very aggressive. We need to do this to prevent a war. So, And I want to quickly ask both of you about the midterms, because we have seen the president's you know, declining poll ratings stabilize and even edge up with the way he's responded on Ukraine, but he still has inflation, the Fed, you know, is going to raise rates today, uh, and, you know, he's got other problems as well. Phil, do you want to take it first? Do you think that this at least is helping the Democrats and helping the White House as they head into the, into the midterms? You know, it certainly is giving Biden an opportunity to be the strong leader uh, that he campaigned as and, and that he hoped to appear to be in the first year of his presidency. And importantly, the issue of inflation, which has been so troubling for Democrats politically the last few months, uh, this war gives Biden an opportunity to pin some of the blame for the rising uh, gas prices and other uh, consumer prices around the country, to pin that blame on Putin and on Russia. So he has a bit of a scapegoat uh, that can be helpful in the campaign season as the midterms approach. Amna, um, your take on that? 
Yeah, I think Phil's spot on. Look, I think war has a way of refocusing everyone's attention and priorities. And right now, when you look at where the poll numbers are, most Americans, about half Americans, I should say, not most, about half of all Americans approve of the way that Biden has handled the war in Ukraine so far. And you have to remember, this is coming off a disastrous response to the end of the war in Afghanistan, when all of his foreign policy credentials were really being called into question. Was this a president who could really lead on the world stage? Um, and the Russian invasion of Ukraine has changed everything. So Americans are seeing the president in a new light. Whether or not that does lead to uh, more support um, in, in the midterms, we, we don't know. I mean, I think we have to wait and see this. Absolutely, there should be an investigation, and we should all be watching. And I have no question the eyes of the world are on this war and what Russia has done in terms of this aggression and these atrocities. I have no doubt. President Biden's not getting a Zelensky bounce. And when you look at the polling, it's kind of fascinating. We're going to put some numbers from Navigator on the screen. Biden's wartime policies are popular, but he's not getting the credit for them. I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me the way these numbers have shaken out. Why doesn't Joe Biden get credit for doing the thing, the popular things Joe Biden does? Well, we could say that. Why, why didn't he get that bounce right after the infrastructure bill? I mean, you actually have a list. The White House is thinking of sending the president to Europe. I mean, is that the kind of thing that he might capture the Zelensky bounce there for taking credit for the things that have been his idea? It might sound a little Pollyannish, but yeah. sometimes presidential leadership is its own reward. Exactly right. So the, <laughs> the history books might reward President Biden's leadership here in a ways that voters may not come November and beyond. In the White House, I also, I think, blames those of us in the media, present company excluded, for shifting the goalposts. That for a year, the question was, can this administration get its arms around and wrestle down this 100-year pandemic? And now that the pandemic is shifting, God willing, to an endemic, the question's all about. On your book, um, there's, it's, it's the story of your life, uh, your journey in the, in the Foreign Service, uh, serving overseas, uh, representing the United States. But when it came to the, the debacle uh, over uh, what happened in Ukraine under former President Trump, his pushing you out of your job, in retrospect, did that send a signal of some kind, do you think, to Vladimir Putin about the United States? I think that it may have indicated to those who were watching, um, and perhaps Putin was one of them, uh, that, um, that this was an administration that was about 
things other than our own national security interests. It was really, you know, later on, I think the transcript revealed and the whistleblower complaint revealed that this was an administration, this was a president that was trading uh, on his office for his own personal and political gain. And that signals to Putin and to other bad actors around the world that you can make a, a, a deal, right? Because if you somehow uh, help uh, the president, um, then you can go off and do your own thing. And I think Putin um, during the Trump years, although the official U.S. policy was very strong, during the Trump years, uh, I think what Putin saw is that he was getting exactly what he needed. To the extent that the president thought about Ukraine, he kind of dismissed it as a weak pawn. Uh, let's go back to your book and let's go back to the, the issue that put you front and center and, and made you a household name. And that was obviously Trump's first impeachment trial, which was generated by what he called the perfect call, the call to Volodymyr Zelensky, which turned out to be a transactional call saying that, you know, our weapons and our help to you might depend on, uh, on you giving me dirt on my political opponent. First, I want to ask you, materially and substantively, how dangerous was that holding out on weapons, on the kind of help that many NATO countries were providing to Ukraine? Did that make a material difference to Ukraine's ability to defend itself then? Well, it always makes a difference, uh, if not materially, certainly six. Eugene, I want to start with you. There has been a narrative that people are falling for, including the media, that the United States is not doing much in terms of helping Ukraine. That is not true. For fact's sake, please take a look at this list. 800 Stinger anti-aircraft systems, 9,000 anti-armor systems. That includes 2,000 javelins, 7,000 rifles, machine guns, shotguns, grenade launchers, 100 drones, and 20 million rounds of ammunition. And I have not even mentioned the massive sanctions that are crippling their economy so much, Putin had to acknowledge it in his address today. Isn't the White House strategically doing a lot already? The situation on the ground in Ukraine is devastating, but we should remind our audience it is also a far-right narrative that keeps getting pushed that the U.S. isn't doing anything. And those same Republican lawmakers that are pushing President Biden to do more quicker are the same people who didn't... Jonathan Lemire, um, you, you go down the list of what the United States uh, has given Ukraine so far, $13.6 billion. Uh, as David Ignatius said, just an extraordinary amount of arms flowing across the Polish-Ukrainian border. My sources uh, high up in the administration and at the Pentagon telling me uh, that there are weapon systems going over there that, uh, that we don't even know about because they don't want Putin to know about them. And of course, that's the way it should be. Is there a growing sense of frustration uh, at, at calls uh, to do more uh, when, when in fact, uh, as the ambassador said, who, who agrees we need to do more, uh, what, what has been done thus far is nothing short of historic. Let me say that again mm -hmm. for people writing snarky op-eds about this administration and about Congress and about the United States response. What has happened over the last three weeks is nothing short of historic. And anybody suggesting that Donald Trump would have done any of this is please. 
please start your clown show somewhere else. We don't want to watch it. We don't want to hear it. Now back to the question, Jonathan. Thank you. Is Joe Biden getting frustrated at this point, uh, despite this historic alliance, despite the historic aid flowing into Ukraine, uh, that he is still uh, getting attacked domestically? Yeah, I posed this very question while at the White House yesterday to several administration officials, and the answer was there is some frustration from the White House towards domestic politicians, Republicans namely, but a few Democrats as well who are promoting unrealistic scenarios, including that no-fly zone. But officials really stressed to me there's no frustration toward President Zelensky. Sanctions sure. were imposed today by Russia against yourself, President Biden, other top U.S. officials. Um, do you have a re response to that? And how will it impact any of you, if at all? Sure. I would first note that President Biden is a junior. So uh, they may have, may have sanctioned his dad. May he rest in peace. Um, the second piece I would say is that won't surprise any of you uh, that none of us are planning uh, tourist trips to Russia. None of us have bank accounts that we won't be able to access. So we will forge ahead. Also breaking tonight, President Biden may be about to make a huge change to U.S. policy on Iran. Senior national correspondent Rich Edson is here to tell us what that is from the State Department. Good evening, Rich. Now, good evening, Brett. The administration is considering removing Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps from the list of foreign terrorist organizations if the IRGC publicly offers to reduce aggression in the region. That's according to sources briefed on the discussions. It was first reported in Axios. Sources stress the administration has yet to make a final decision on this. The IRGC is Iran's paramilitary group. This weekend, it fired a dozen missiles into northern Iraq. Some landed near a U.S. consulate building there. We asked the State Department this afternoon whether it's appropriate for the United States to consider removing a terrorist designation for the IRGC, given attacks like this. Spokesperson Ned Price refused to comment on specifics, though defended the administration's efforts to revive a nuclear agreement with Iran, one that would drop sanctions in exchange for temporary curbs on Iran's nuclear program. Every challenge that we face and would face from Iran, uh, whether that is its support for proxies, its support for terrorist groups, its ballistic missile program, all of those challenges uh, would become all the more difficult to confront uh, if Iran were in the possession of a nuclear weapon. Officials say IRGC threats are also forcing the State Department to provide security for former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and former Iran envoy Brian Hook. About three years ago, the Trump administration designated the IRGC as a foreign terrorist organization. That's the first time a government entity made that list, a foreign terrorist designation. On Trump's not the president. The, the, the Iran thing just shows, I mean, we had a real media that was covering stuff. Iran is the perfect example of how they're wrong on everything. They're not right on a single thing. They're, they're slave to an ideology on everything. And they can't do the right thing. I mean, this is what Zelensky showed.
There is a real war going on. People are dying. And all we have is rhetoric. And him not wanting to admit. I mean, Trevor Noah, you heard of him? There is no denying that Saudi Arabia isn't playing ball with Joe Biden. And you know what? You can say what you want, but this would have never happened to Donald Trump. Never. No one was ever ignoring Donald Trump's calls. Yeah, because if you ignored Donald Trump's calls, you didn't know how he would respond. Maybe he'd send an angry tweet, or maybe he'd just like ban your country from everything. You don't know. That's why I bet in these situations, Biden actually wishes that he could hire Trump to step in as president wildcard. You know, just keep everyone on their toes. Because if Trump was calling, you best believe the UAE, they'll be racing to pick up the phone. Oh, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, we're here. We're here. Hello? Too late, Ahmed. You made me wait two rings. We're bombing the UAE and the UFC. Just. Do you know what would have happened if Trump called the world leader or something and they just never responded? Do, do you know how bad that have been? It wasn't even reported. You didn't see it. it wasn't a big deal. It's not that important. He's fucking everything up. I had a soundbite, literally that lady being horrible, Glasser. CNN brought it right on. There's no question about the tweet. There was no holding accountable. And understand, there are economists, the ones the media want to talk about. We're fucked. And it'll start off, our media jerk off, because gas, man, they're spinning like a fucking top. I am politics, the media jerk off of the week. So hot. As long as we're trying to look for scapegoats, as long as we're going to blame exogenous factors on inflation, it's going to get worse. And in fact, we're going to create more inflation to try to solve the problems of inflation. Because what the government is going to be looking at are rising food prices, rising energy prices, rising rents. They're going to be looking at the impact that's going to have on the economy, on consumer spending. I already mentioned earlier in the podcast how it's weighing down consumer sentiment. Ultimately, inflation is going to cause recession. And what is the government going to do to stimulate the economy in recession? Create more inflation. And uh, the, then we have the, the question of the Russian oil, uh, you know, ban on Russian oil. We our, our new poll had some interesting numbers. First of all, it showed uh, overwhelming support for the ban on Russian oil. 77% support it, even if it means, in the poll question, even if it means higher gas prices here at home. But take a look at this other question we asked, which is... Uh, Biden's handling of gas prices, do you approve? 70% disapprove. So in other words, ban Russian oil, even if it means higher gas prices, but we're going to blame Biden. You always blame the party in power. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the administration wasn't aggressive enough, in my opinion, in pushing back on the red herrings. The red herrings like, it's because you didn't build the Keystone XL pipeline. And I remind them one of the first things Donald Trump did was give the permit. And in four years, the pipeline didn't get built. 
Why not? Because it wasn't, it wasn't economical to build that pipeline in those price points. What, they, they argue that this is because of inflation, runaway inflation. Who drove up inflation? We saw the CBO numbers this week. Mm. It was the Trump administration that overspent and drove up inflation. So if inflation in prices and housing and in gas is because of deficit spending, that's Trump's fault. And so the administration has not been nearly aggressive enough Although to explain what's actually going on. Although, if you look at the numbers, uh, inflation really started to rise almost exactly when, when, when Biden came in the White House. Now, now yeah, obviously... Well, that, that argues my point, uh, doesn't it? But, 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 but look, at the, look at this chart on gas prices uh, just since February. If, if you look at the... I mean, it's, it, is a, it is a shocking increase that, do, you know, doesn't can, correspond... Can, can I just say, that is yeah. an artificially low price that you're starting from. And when you do inflation adjustment, this isn't the highest price we've had in the last 20 years. In fact, George Herb Walker Bush and under the George Bush administration, we had gas prices inflation adjusted over $5. But, it, but we're shocked because we got used to $2 gas. Yep. Well, what I heard was a president trying to shield himself from the blowback for this step in multiple ways. He called it P Putin's price hike. He warned oil companies not to gouge, so trying to uh, condition Americans to think that some of the uh, in increase may come from uh, predatory behavior by the companies. Uh, he said nothing his administration had done has held back domestic uh, oil production so far. He referred to all of the uh, leases that are held that are not uh, where wells are not being drilled right now. That's a function in part of the uh, uh, lagging effect of depressed demand during the pandemic, supply chain problems, that sort of thing. And he also said that uh, this is a move that has bipartisan support, which is true, Republicans and Democrats. Now, all of that is likely to be a pretty flimsy shield for the president because voters respond to conditions. Republicans are going to attack him for higher gas prices in any case. But nevertheless, he was uh, uh, he decided to take this step. He was trying to um, uh, explain to the American people why he took the step, protect himself from the blowback. Uh, that is, uh, is not going to be easy to do. Yeah, and Catherine, he also, I mean, he also said a couple more things. He's saying, acknowledging many of our allies may not be in the position to join us here in this decision. And as he was speaking, the energy secretary in the UK announced that the UK will be phasing out Russian oil um, by the end of 2022. Is it clear what all of this is going to mean? it's going to mean higher prices, particularly for the consumers in those markets, right? Demand is really high right now. Supply has not been keeping up even before uh, the conflict in Ukraine, the Russian invasion. If we are now constraining supply even more, that's going to drive prices up. In the UK, uh, they actually get a relatively small share of their crude oil, per se, um, from Russia, So, as does the United States, by the way. So why it, they can make these moves. That's more. why they can make these moves. I think that they may get some other uh, oil, other petroleum products in, in higher shares from Russia. So it still will be painful. Uh, there's no way around that. And the fact that they're saying by the end of the year suggests that they want to give themselves some time um, to adjust, right? They're not doing it immediately. Um, and the reason why is because they want to make sure that they can get other supply online a little bit faster. But it's going to be painful no matter what they do. And I, my, the lingering question to all of this, John, is does do any of these moves, these big announcements, these shifts, do they change Vladimir Putin's behavior, which is the big unknown, right? Well, clearly they have not changed his behavior so far. Uh, more consequential has been the uh, resistance that Ukrainians have offered to Russian military forces. But if it doesn't 
uh, changes behavior immediately. The idea is to punish and keep escalating the cost uh, on Russia to uh, deter it down the road. The one thing that the president underscored to, uh, in the, those remarks was he talked about the Article 5 commitment under NATO. That only applies to military uh, defense for NATO countries, not for Ukraine. So he was implicitly uh, redrawing that line, saying that the United States is not going to commit military force to Ukraine. That is the line to watch as we go further. And as, as economic deterrence uh, fails, uh, the question is going to be uh, what becomes of that military uh, uh, line and its possibility of deterring Putin. Absolutely. John, thank you very much. Catherine, it's great to see you. Thank you so much for being here. The last thing is, um, yesterday we heard President Biden accuse Republicans of playing games with oil prices amid uh, a couple other accusations. Does this amount to a preview of the midterm messaging, and how are you guys going to weather both inflation and uh, rising oil prices? I can't speak to midterm messaging directly from here, but factually, I think it's important to keep in mind, first of all, Every action that we have taken to punish Russia for Putin's unprovoked further invasion of Ukraine has had strong bipartisan support and buy-in. Uh, and of course, Russia's destabilizing actions have played an important role in recent increases in gas prices. But I'm, I'm glad you raised this uh, because the New York Times had a very conclusive fact check yesterday. Headline was Republicans wrongly blame Biden for riding, get, rising gas prices. Uh, and so I think it's important to note that independent arbiters in the press uh, have consulted experts and they have deemed that these attacks are disingenuous uh, and that the rising gas prices you've seen all over the world but beforehand uh, are due to the pandemic and pressures that has put on international supply. Uh, so thank you all. Sorry we didn't have more time. Can we have an honest conversation about gas prices? Because too much of the U.S. media chatter is distorted to the point of being dishonest. Many politicians act as though it's President Biden who caused inflation <laughs> and that he can fix this. No, I mean, you know, he did not cause the war which caused prices to surge. It was the Trump administration that overspent and drove up inflation. That's Trump's fault. And you heard the president of the United States Council say Putin's price hike. He used that phrase that these are Putin's price hikes. Putin price hike. Putin's price hike. Putin's price hike. Putin's price hike. Putin's price hike is a great way to message it. Blaming Putin's war in Ukraine as a prime contributor. Yeah. There is some credence to that. 100%. The New York Times fact check about this was pretty explicit, saying Republicans wrongly blame Biden for rising gas prices. It makes sense that Republicans would pounce on President Biden. Republicans don't do anything except criticize Joe Biden. This isn't anything but a ploy for the midterm elections. 80% of Americans say that they're willing to pay higher prices. Uh, Americans are okay with paying a little more at the pump. We got used to $2 gas, yep. and, I also, and that's the problem. You know what? Higher gas prices are, is a small sacrifice to make compared to what the, the brave Ukrainians are going through. So blame Putin, blame the gas companies, but don't blame Biden. He's doing everything. He Let's be clear. When America's recovery was flat on its back and the economy was flat on its back, it was the Democrats without a single Republican vote that brought us back. The invasion of Ukraine and the volatility of the oil market is no excuse for excessive price increases, profit padding, or any effort to exploit American consumers. No one should capitalize on Putin's aggression by taking advantage of American families. And this chart, uh, which you see here, shows both the p price of crude oil and you see where, where it is as it relates to the price of gasoline. 
And as you've seen it gone down, go down, the price of gasoline obviously has not gone down. So that is the explanation of that particular chart. Um, Eric, are you feeling it in Florida as well? What, 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 how, do you, how do you read the coverage of high gas prices? Because it is obviously a real issue. I was going to say, you should come to Florida. I only paid 60 bucks to fill up my tank. But what I will say is what's interesting to me about this is that this isn't new for Fox. Uh, they were trying to make this connection back in November and even earlier. And, uh, and right now, what it feels like is an attempt to sort of forestall um, the natural tendency that Americans have to rally around the president when he's in the middle of an international crisis, especially something like the Ukraine war, where there seems to be a lot of agreement uh, with how he's handling it. And, and so these rising wow. gas prices are a good way uh, to sort of push back against uh, the good feelings that Biden is engendering uh, without uh, actually um, taking aim at the Ukraine war or anything that could be sort of um, uh, perceived as, as harming that effort. All right. That's interesting. That's really interesting. If the administration or Congress should pursue, you know, a standalone clean energy package or just clearly, you know, that you don't have a lot of time left to get something, a reconciliation bill right. through a Democrat only Congress. Midterms are coming up. Um, so if anything, you can preview as to next steps on the congressional front. That would be great. I mean, as you can imagine and as you have heard, there is a lot of conversation that is happening right now in, in saying that this crisis in, uh, in Europe and the crisis our allies are facing and the reduction of supply of uh, natural gas and oil from Russia creates a moment that we should be acting. I mean, we heard President Zelensky we do not want to see uh, any country that is held hostage to Vladimir Putin. And this is a moment for Congress to be able to act. There can be a compromise. There can be movement on this. Um, and whether it's, you know, I mean, what the form is and who sponsors are and all of that, that's, a, that's a, a conversation that's happening. But the bottom line is this is a moment to have this happen. It's an urgent moment. Can we have an honest conversation about gas prices? Because too much of the U.S. media chatter is distorted to the point of being dishonest. This week's record highs are big news, and they're, they're bad enough that they don't need any exaggeration. But there is exaggerating happening anyway. Like when newscasts focus on the outliers, the stations with off-the-charts high prices in a couple big cities. Fox has been doing a lot of this, but other networks have as well. Take the handful of L.A. gas stations with notoriously high prices. I mean, I'm only in L.A. like once a year, and even I know to avoid the station at Fairfax and San Vicente. Like I said, it's, it's bad enough without showing out-of-context $7 gas signs. In fact, California isn't even the best example of how high gas prices harm consumers. This CNN story points out that drivers in states like Mississippi and Nevada make lower wages on average, so they feel the higher gas prices more intensely. See, the more you read about gas prices, the more you learn, the more complicated you realize it is. But right-wing pundits are trying to make it sound simple, blaming it all on President Biden. The New York Times fact check about this was pretty explicit, saying Republicans wrongly blame Biden for rising gas prices. Biden then celebrated that fact check when he was speaking to fellow Democrats. But let's be honest, nobody from right-wing media is ever going to acknowledge that fact check or point it out. Joining me to discuss this and more, Nicole Hemmer, Associate Research Scholar at Columbia University. She's also the author of Messengers of the Right. Here also, senior CNN, hmm, senior, he's a senior, he is CNN's senior media reporter, Oliver Darcy, there we go. And NPR TV critic, Eric Deggins, back with us as well. Oliver, since I was butchering your title, you're up first. <laughs> the, the, 
the coverage of gas prices. Yeah. A very real issue. I paid 80 bucks yesterday, Philip, take. We all feel it. And yet, there's also some exaggerating going on. Uh, why do you think that's happening? Well, it's good politics for Republicans, right? Because people associate how high price, gas prices are, I think, with how well the president's doing. And so when you have these record high gas prices, people say that Biden's not doing well. And then you have outlets like Fox uh, reinforcing that view, saying that this is President Biden's fault. Uh, had he not, for instance, suspended or revoked the permit for the Keystone Pipeline, the U.S. would have more uh, oil production, not be reliant on Russian fuel, when we know that even if he hadn't done that, the, the pipeline wouldn't have been built. So that would, that's not a, a non-starter. So there are all these ways that Fox is distorting the story to uh, pin the blame on President Biden. And I think, frankly, if you're a Republican, it's, it's good politics. It's just dishonest politics. And it's working. We should be clear on how yeah. well it's working. Have you noticed these stickers that are popping up at some gas stations? Let's show them. There's stickers of Biden that is pointing to the high prices and say, you know, that's because of me. I did that. There's, there's one of these stickers. This is really catching on. There's, there's, I did that. This is really catching on. And to me, Nicole, it's an example of how a meme, something online, can actually manifest in the real world. Absolutely. I mean, it's pretty savvy because it's something that people, you know, when you're filling your car up with gas, you're right. staring at the numbers go up and up and up. And now you have this little sticker that tells you, you know, who's to blame for this? Joe Biden. So it's a very effective messaging, even though it's completely wrong. Mm. Um, Eric, are you feeling it in Florida as well? What, 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 <laughs> how do you how do you read the coverage of high gas prices? Because it is obviously a real issue. I was going to say, you should come to Florida. I only paid 60 bucks to fill up my tank. But what I will say is what's interesting to me about this is that this isn't new for Fox. Uh, they were trying to make this connection back in November and even earlier. And, uh, and right now, what it feels like is an attempt to sort of forestall um, the natural tendency that Americans have to rally around the president when he's in the middle of an international crisis, especially something like the Ukraine war, where there seems to be a lot of agreement uh, with how he's handling it. And and so these rising wow. gas prices are a good way uh, to sort of push back against uh, the good feelings that Biden is engendering uh, without uh, actually um, taking aim at the Ukraine war or anything that could be sort of um, uh, perceived as, as harming that effort. All right. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Another headline this week about Fox. This was the Smartmatic lawsuit. Remember the voting technology company suing Fox and others for perpetrating the big lie. A judge has allowed that case against Fox to move forward. Uh, the motion to dismiss failed. And so Smartmatic now, Oliver, will be able potentially to go into discovery and really pursue this case. How this is, Was this surprising? And how much of a blow is this to Fox? I don't think it was surprising because we saw the same thing happen in the other case where they're being with sued Dominion. by voting, with Dominion. So right. not too surprising. I think it's another huge blow to Fox because they don't want to go to discovery, right? And also, I thought it was interesting how the judge in this case pointed to Tucker Carlson rejecting some of these crazy conspiracy theories as evidence that the network should have known better, that they did know better, and they still erred and, and, and uh, uh, peddled some of these uh, these uh, crazy theories about the election being stolen. By the way, Nicole, this is not a past tense story. This is still going on this weekend with Trump. Absolutely. And this is something that Fox is going to have to be pretty careful about going forward, right? It's, it's easy to get away with misleading people on things like gas prices. But when you're specifically naming a corporation and blaming them for something that they didn't do, um, now they're just in tonight, Pfizer asking the FDA to authorize a fourth COVID vaccine shot for older Americans. As troubling signs overseas raise fears, the U.S. may be headed for another spike. Here's Miguel Almaguer. 
Seeking emergency use authorization, tonight NBC News confirms Pfizer has submitted new data to the FDA, hoping to greenlight a second COVID booster shot for Americans 65 and older, citing waning immunity several months after a third dose. The company's CEO says a fourth shot would dramatically improve protection against infection. Are Americans really going to be willing to get a second booster or a fourth shot? I think we've seen problems with people getting their first boosters. I mean, we only have 50% of eligible people boosted right now, and that's, that's already a big problem. Pfizer's push comes as COVID cases spike in pockets of the globe. Cases in mainland China up 377%. In the UK, infections have surged over 52%. Dr. Fauci attributes three major factors behind England's rise. Omicron subvariant BA2 is more transmissible, though not necessarily more severe. Relaxed mandates like no longer masking indoors also having an impact, as is waning immunity from vaccination or prior infection. With the COVID risk low in nearly every part of the country, tonight the White House confirms the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, has tested positive for COVID. The vice president tested negative today. Lester. Late breaking headline on the pandemic. Pfizer, just before we came on the air here, now requesting emergency authorization for a second booster now. So we asked Dr. Jha tonight about the idea of another booster, what they're seeing in Israeli data on this already. And Pfizer is requesting FDA authorization for an additional COVID booster for seniors. It was Some of that shit is just downright epic. It's just downright epic, you know, and I end with <coughs> seltzer babbling let's have an honest question we haven't had an honest conversation since trump came down an escalator to run for president you guys have just been purveyors of lefty talking points i mean literally right now 63 percent two-thirds of americans are willing to pay more at the pump to punish russia no they're not you got some liberals to say that because they know this is Biden's war. They know they th th this is Biden's war and they're Russians. The left is so Russia. I mean, they can't give it up. It's like COVID. Fourth shot. You see that shit? Fourth fucking shot because they don't want to give COVID up. They ran an article on NBC about how fucked up he was because he went with the fucking science or not science and Falky came out from his basement and started pushing, we're going to know the variant, even though we know every variant gets weaker and weaker, but somehow not for COVID. It's it's COVID Omicron D or something. They got a new name for it. But here's Bill Crystal. Trump tried to exhort Zelensky in Ukraine. Trump support and excuse Putin. If you claim to be pro-Ukraine and you're pro-Trump, you're not really pro-Ukraine. If you claim to be anti-war and you're pro-Trump, you're not really anti-war. Since it's Putin's war. Kurt Schlitzler, shut up. Convenient to have such a short, short memory. Yeah, you don't get to tell us what to think. Your distortion of history and leaving out relevant facts doesn't make your position tenable. It makes you deceitful, if not evil. Poll, inflation is the most concerning issue to voters ahead of the 2022. In, in, here it is. Inflation, crime, election integrity, School issues, illegal immigration, COVID. Because now both sides don't trust the election. 
You got Peppermint Patty still seeing 2016 was stolen by Russia. And you got the right who watched an election get rigged by our media. It was just rigged. Hunter Biden laptop. 10% of the people voted for Biden so they wouldn't have they knew about that laptop was true. Politico explains why Biden's so at ease during hectic time. Biden presidency has never been so hectic. Here's why he's at ease. As he pushes a Supreme Court nominee and manages a foreign policy crisis, the president's service on the Foreign Relations and Judiciary Committee is coming in handy. Joe Biden's trying to get a historic Supreme Court nominee confirmed while managing the worst military crisis in Europe since World War II. Those around him say he's more at ease than at other points during his presidency. His Senate tenure, they add, is the reason why. Those around him wouldn't include Ron Coyne, would they? Eric Spencer. It's easy to be calm when you have no idea what the hell's going on. He's not running the country. Everybody knows that. He went to a DNC fundraiser. Biden at DNC fundraiser last night. Saving families 500 a year in energy costs by making gas cost 5 to $7 more a gallon. Imagine where we'd be if we were free of fossil fuels. Most of us would be dead, Joe. Sure, the court have ruled against me on climate, but I don't care. Democracy. EVs create jobs. EVs reduced auto worker jobs by 30%. Perfect attendance at every climate crisis. You know it. Biden at fundraiser, word salad with climate dressing. This is a real thing. You know, when the hurricane hit in Louisiana, the 170 mile per hour winds, 79 mile an hour winds, more people died in Queens from flooding than they died from that hurricane. Because when I went up there and visited, people went to their basement because of tornadoes and rain, 20 inches of rain. They, it flooded their basements, couldn't get out, and died. So we need to get rid of fossil fuels and all live in caves. What, what the fuck? Putin threatens nuclear war. Biden raves to the DNC fundraiser. Climate is the existential threat, not hyperbole. Fact. And your grandchildren are going to hate you. Fact. That's your president. Sheldon Whitehouse. I just filed a bill to reclaim the windfall profits that big oil is raking in. Here's how it works. I'm not even playing it. It's just crazy shit. Anderson Cooper did a 60-minute segment, a gay guy with a gay guy making Pete Budleg look like he wasn't Pete Budleg. Senator Warren in on skyrocketing inflation. Don't blame Washington. Blame COVID, the oil industry, the meat industry, big chicken. It's always big chicken. Got to watch out for big chicken. Tyson, those motherfuckers. (laughs) This was the White House spin as of yesterday. At the same time, today's inflation report is a reminder that Americans' budgets are being stretched by price increases and families are starting to feel the impact of Putin's price hike. A large contributor to inflation this month was increasing gas and energy prices as markets react to Putin's aggressive actions. 
As I've said from the start, there'll be cost at home as we impose crippling sanction in response to Putin's unprovoked war. But Americans know this. The cost we are imposing on Putin and his cronies are far more devastating than the cost we were facing. Oil prices are decreasing. Gas prices should too, Biden says. Last time oil was $96 a barrel, gas was $362 a gallon. Now it's $431. Oil and gas companies should pay pad their profits at the expense of hardworking Americans. Kevin McKeon. Putin's price hike. Boo. Get better material. Blame COVID. Blame oil companies. Kevin D. Jones. Your cabinet has been out in force saying your goal is to eliminate U.S. fossil fuels. Prices have been going up for a year because of your policies, regulation, and threat. The mar- market reflects this. P.S. It takes weeks for price at gas station to ke- catch up with spikes. I guess we're past the short phase of Team Biden trying to be nice to energy companies to get them to produce more. And back to the cruise sweet spot. Oil is evil. Washington Post, opinion by Jennifer Rubin, when news outlets become merely propaganda outlets for the powerful and truth becomes whatever a leader says, it is democracy in peril. This is from her column. This provides stark lessons about freedom, right-wing populism, and democracy. Above all, we see how the media has become the enemy of authoritarians who seek to control the truth or make it unknowable. One of her tweets, watching Andrew Cuomo is inspiring, uplifting, fascinating. He weaves details and humor and math and common sense all together. He's magnificent. Let's just listen to him. A person says, very insightful. Another one of her tweets. Oh, same thing. Oh, man, does she know she who she writes for? Irony is dead. There are very, very few in the press, more of a voice of propaganda than Ruben Blog, an absolute fact-free political partisan. Then during the week, I think I got a couple woke, or we'll just close the show. Where are we at? Yeah, we'll close the show for today. We'll make it a small one. So, Mary Poppins heads over there, and she plays the game making jokes while they're doing serious shit. But she's yucking it the fuck up. Reuters does a fact check. A clip taken out of context on social media actually shows U.S. Vice President Kamala Harris and Polish President Andrzej Duda laughing briefly at confusion over who should answer a question first between translations. How can I apply to be a fact checker and just pick and choose my narrative for everything that's a fact? That's that. So, you know, I do have one more thing. We'll do a mini woke because, of course, the dude national championship. Swimmer. Chick dude. Turn it up. Turn it on. Rock it like we bad to the bone. Get on the floor. Run it loose.
ago, our LGBTQIA plus teammates at Disney asked for our solidarity and support, including our company's support in opposition to the parental rights in education bill in the state of Florida and similar legislature across the United States. And a threat to any human rights is a threat to all human rights. And at this time, Courtney and I, we're gonna take a pause from our broadcast to show our love and support for our friends. Against that lane line. She's having a great race here and she's gonna get second. That will give her a lot of confidence. Remember, she's just a freshman. Leah Thomas pulling away over the final 150 meters. Had to work for it. She was pushed over the first 350 meters. Thomas wins the NCAA championship. Ended up very close for second with Wyatt taking it ahead of a late charge from Erica Sullivan in third. So there's your top two, Thomas on the right. Wyatt scoring an important 17 points for Virginia. Are you saying you think that his body is the same as the other girls in the pool? Everybody is too. Yeah. Yeah. No. Are you saying he doesn't have male So do you think that you know everything about Are you saying he doesn't have male I'm not. I don't think. I don't think that she. I think you're twisting words. I think you have neither. Oh, actually, let me ask you. performance measure up to your expectations coming into this meet tonight? I I didn't have a whole lot of expectations for this meet. I was just happy to be here trying to race and compete as best as I could. You've undoubtedly been under the spotlight over the past few months. How have you been dealing with that and reasoning with everything? I try to ignore it as much as I can. I try to focus on my swimming, uh, what I need to do to get ready for my races, and just try to block out everything else. What did that race mean to you? It's, it means the world to, to be here, be with two of my best friends and teammates, and be able to compete. Thank you for stopping by. Thank you so much. A potentially history-making night coming up in the NCAA Women's Swimming and Diving Championships because the University of Pennsylvania swimmer Leah Thomas is set to compete, putting the trans swimmer at the center of another round of controversy so far. No openly trans athlete has ever become a D1 national champion, but Thomas has more than a shot at tonight's event, the 500-yard freestyle. She's got two more swims over the next few days, too. I want to bring in now transgender athlete, activist, and founder of transathlete.com, Chris Mosier. Chris, it's good to have you back on the show. Good afternoon to you. Great to be with you. Thank you. Talk a little bit about what's at stake tonight. Well, for Leah, obviously, it's what she's been training for her entire career, and I think it's a very personal matter for her. And then for the larger sports community, you know, I think this is 
the moment that people want for. They want to see uh, trans athletes succeed at this level, and or they don't want to see a trans athlete succeed at this level. And we'll have the opportunity to find out tonight what happens. I think either way, whether Leah wins or doesn't win, people have pretty much made up their mind about their own opinions on this matter. And they're just waiting to see how angry or happy they will be at the end of the day. It's an interesting point. You know, I'm sure you've seen, listen, and we've been, you've been on the show before. We've covered this a lot on the show. Um, there been, there's been criticism of her participation there. I think were some, according to ESPN, some very small protests outside, like less than a couple dozen people. But there's also one competitor who said she had no problem swimming against Leah. Um, that has all got to play into the athleticism piece of this, too, like the actual co competition part, right? There's so much out of the pool that Leah Thomas is having to manage, too. Yeah, and let's just take a moment, and I would love to do it here on this show because it hasn't been done in the media very much to celebrate Leah Thomas, to celebrate all of the athletes who have made it to the championship. But Leah has done so being put in the center of, as you said, controversy around the globe with people who have opinions, whether they're involved in sport or not. So the way that this young woman has handled the, the criticism, the media attention, while trying to graduate school, while trying to succeed. When Leah Thomas dives into the pool, she could be sealing her place in NCAA history. The standout swimmer from the University of Pennsylvania will compete to become the first Division I openly transgender athlete to be crowned a national champion. The UPenn swim team posted this picture of Leah and two teammates poolside. Here they are, all three of our NCAA superstars. Her stellar season has smashed records, but also courted a wave of controversy with some fellow athletes and parents concerned that Thomas has an unfair physical advantage. Thomas spent three seasons competing on the UPenn men's swim team and spoke candidly in December about her struggle during that time. My mental health was not very good. It was a lot of unease um, about basically just feeling trapped in my body. She has now completed 34 months of hormone replacement therapy, surpassing the 12-month NCAA requirement to compete on the women's team. I can continue to do the sport I love as my authentic self. It's left her teammates split, some sending a letter of public support, writing in part that Thomas and all transgender college athletes deserve to be able to participate in safe and welcoming athletic environments. While others have spoken out in opposition, one anonymous teammate tells the Philadelphia Inquirer she's concerned about physical advantages that don't, she says, give the other women a fair shot. It's very difficult to focus when there's a lot of hatred and vitriol around you. Skylar Baylor was the first openly transgender D1 athlete on a men's team. He flew to Atlanta this week to show his support for Leah. We have to put our heads underwater and swim. And Leah has done an incredible job of that, but it, she shouldn't have to put her blinders on. So many of us before Leah have tried to say, hey, we exist to hopefully make the world a little bit more ready, right, for the next trans athlete. And Leah is now becoming part of that visibility train as well, so that the next trans person can hopefully be a little more accepted. Blaine, it's not just today's race. Leah is actually competing in three different events. How do we see the rest of these championships playing out for her? 
Hoda, there is so much to watch. So she's going to first hit the pool this morning at 10 o'clock. That's the 500 yard freestyle. The prelims finals are tonight. She's favored to win the 500 and the 200 yard freestyles. She's also swimming in the 100 yard freestyle and she's got a shot there. But in addition to watching for her winning those races, Hoda, we're also watching for the potential. She is within striking distance of the long held collegiate records by Missy Franklin and Katie Ledecky. So of course, we're going to be watching to see if she uh, touches those records during this weekend too. Hoda. All right, Blaine. Alexander Force in Atlanta. Blaine, thank you. You know, I, I've said my whole life, you can be what you want to be. I don't give a fuck. But look at that guy. He's a guy. He's got a dick and balls. He walks naked dick and balls. He's not getting an operation. And he sure likes the attention. That's your podium. The women are down with it. They're just, I mean, come on. He beat him by over, his, what, two seconds? That's not competition. He's beating up on girls, for fuck's sake. 60% of Americans are for the K1 through 3. That's why I play those sound bites of ESPN being woke and the Today Show. And this is all backlash because of that bill. So what happened this week? This is child abuse. Showing up to teach fourth grade the day after the don't say gay bill passes through the Florida House. Kids coming out as trans. It's a teacher that's kind of not a guy and not a girl, like somewhere in between. Oh, so you're kind of a boy and you're kind of a girl? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Oh. Okay, right on. I want to be a boy, but I don't like being a girl. You know what, Every, you know, you have choices in this world to be all sorts of different things. But that's why it's MX, so mix Chavez, that's where that comes from. I know some of you were a little confused, some of you came and talked to me about it. What? Some people do identify that way. I'm actually trans, so I'm not a tomboy, I'm, I'm trans. But some people do, and I'm sure if they wanted to, they could also go by mix in their classroom. Any other questions? Do you have any other questions or can we move on? You know, it would be national news if a teacher went in dressed for church with a Bible and started preaching, because that's the same thing. I've said it for fucking years. Now conservatives are saying it on your TV and podcast. This is their religion. I said that in 2017 and 2018. They replaced religion with woke, and it's got the tenets of GND and Proverbs and psalms are all the pronouns and all the gay news shit that we come up with every fucking week because we just want to silence people and we don't want to fucking argue our point that a dude is a dude and a woman is a woman they don't have an argument for that so they just call you a homophobe and shut you the fuck up but teachers going to school it would it would be an issue and then you have usa today that's your woman of the year that's not a woman. That's a dude.
This week, gas, inflation, the border is overrun. I mean, it's just overrun. What did the Biden ever? Hair Act. Oh, I'm sorry. Hair Act. I don't even know what this is. Creating a respectful and open world for natural hair. Denied the benefit of or be subjugated to discrimination individuals' hair texture or hairstyle. If that hair texture or hairstyle is which hair is tightly coiled or tightly curled, locks, cornrows, or twist. How were they being... Where, are the, where is the lynchings over hair or signs must have straight hair? Fuck the army ages ago. Let them just wear fucking dreads. But you can't wear a cross. Put cross on. You're fucking out of regs. Can't have a St. Christopher. Brian Seltzer this week. I don't think I put a slide up. Yeah, I did. It's not a culture war to teach transgender lessons to K3 school children. On CNN Reliable Sources, Seltzer asked why CEO Bob Chappick was so out of touch that it took him days to come to the side of his employees to speak out against the bill. Seltzer, who's dedicated his career to policing media speech, said that he bristles when the media calls the Florida bill a culture war battle. It's not a culture war. Talking about equal rights for everybody in the country, Seltzer asserted before immediately reversing himself. I mean, I guess it is, he said. I'm getting tired of the culture war frame, he added, referring to the issue of teaching children about transgender. It's a definition of culture war. That's why you guys are pissed. That's why you're doing it. You're brainwashing kids so they'll vote for you, hopefully, someday. So you'll destroy the nuclear family. That's what it's all about. You don't want parents to be able to teach their kids religion. Because you don't like religion. You think religion is evil. And we end on that. For long, as women have excelled in sports in the modern area, their gender and sexuality have faced fierce scrutiny. One was a lesbian. To equate a dude who couldn't win straight up and decided to go a new way so he could get his title. Yeah, no. No, that's that's not the same thing. That, that's not the same thing. It's just not. So, that wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. And go to foppodcast.com, sponsored by Matt in Oregon. To find links to Rumble and SoundCloud for all our shows. On the personal front... Man, I'm fucked up. All right, that's why I didn't do a poll uh, Wednesday. I was sick of shit. Thursday, spent all day in a hospital, poking, prodding, every test, scan, x-ray, ultrasound. And I'm pretty fucking miserable. Um, Turns out I have uh, three hernias. Top, belly button, crotch. And it it appears that I just have a wicked ulcer. I thought it was going to be hiatal hernia. Really thought that's what it was. I was having um, so much pain. But then when I did all the tests, um, I take that dye shit. And then I tried a new stomach pill that's supposed to coat your stomach. And... 
I ate a normal meal. And I, I don't know what I was thinking. Because it, today is the best day in two days. Uh, nausea. Just nothing wants to sit. Um, stomach constantly hurts. I don't dip as much because that fucking makes me nauseous. I'm taking like Melanta, heartburn meds, stomach coating meds. Uh, this sucks. And I don't think my pain meds help much, but I'm in so much damn pain. I got to take the pain meds. And tomorrow I'll go see that doctor and try to get something different to try to mitigate the pain. Because now it's pretty much everywhere. Um, I probably was getting an ulcer. I just didn't know it. And then the doxycycline destroyed it. But uh, have not been happy. By 3 o'clock every day, um, 3, 3.30 I leave work. I come home. I try some soup. And then I'm just miserable. And then I go to sleep and rinse and repeat. I wake up take a Prilosec, try to get the air out of my stomach, uh, take a nausea pill, and do the dance, eat some oatmeal, about all I can take, and then drink some Alana, and take a nausea pill, and try some dinner. It's garbage. This is seven weeks, and I can't see, and, you know... I, I meant to start the show on this subject because as we talk about all this social, you know, socialism that this country wants to do, I mean, a lot of people talk about it. That's my one thing a day I drink that I shouldn't. It took me six weeks to see a doctor about this. Well, four. We did it all over the phone. And they freaked out when they saw me because I weighed 318 last summer. I weighed 258. So they, of course, thought it was cancer. Set up for my wife. Gigi freaked the hell out. My better half. And um, I got to admit, I was a little butt puckered because that is a lot of weight. And when it's all said and done, the doctor I got was a great doctor, and she really pulled some strings, got me a same-day CAT scan and all sorts of crap. But the best she could do is get me a gastro appointment for next Friday, and it's just a consult. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to do anything. And then I'll go on vacation. I'll have to come back and hopefully get a scope and see what is wrong and see if they can do an operation to repair it. From what they believe, because of the pain here, where my food pipe goes in and the top of the stomach is really damaged. So that's where the hurt is. And it starts nausea. You just feel like last night I drank some water. I wasn't supposed to. You're not supposed to drink water. If you have GERD, you're not supposed to drink water before you go to bed. Um, the water in there will stir everything up. Your acids will come. And we'll have a class here for two seconds, since I'm now an expert on this, since I have to go to Dr. Google. You have a sphincter at the top. We'll just call it a muscle. Then you have a muscle at the bottom of your intestines, and then you have the muscle on the outside. So those things control out and in. When you go to sleep, the top one relaxes, and that's how you get GERD, which is 
acids flowing up. If I sleep in the, you know, I, I want to sleep with my wife. I don't want to hurt her feelings. So I go into the bedroom, but it, man, I try everything. I try a pile of pillows. I try sleeping on a ramp. I, I fucking try everything. And last night, because I drank some water, it feels with an ulcer like everything is going the opposite way. I mean, you're talking intestines and everything. It just feels like everything's pushing this way. So I, I got up, instantly belched like crazy, and went into the living room and sat pretty much up and fell asleep. And that's how I slept. And that's where I will stay until this is repaired. And I talked to the wife. I don't want to hurt her feelings. I don't have a choice. I just can't lay down. Um, it just goes crazy. Because I believe I really damaged it with the doxycycline. I mean, it just destroyed that area of my stomach. So everything wants to come up. It doesn't want to stay in. I mean, just eating oatmeal is like I got to fight it through into my stomach. Then I got to drink a bunch of water to get it to stay in and get the fuck out. And it's a dance. If you're hungry, you're nauseous. You get more burn. If you're full, you're fucked. And understand, when I took the new stomach-coating medicine that I'm supposed to take four times a day, but it always makes me nauseous afterwards as my body tries to fight it out, so I take it once a day with dinner, I had 10 pieces of sushi and 10 shrimp. That's all I ate. And I pulled the peels off the shrimp. And it was like I ate... A bottle of cayenne, which surprisingly is good for heartburns, but I'm not going down that road. But that's, that's, it, it's horrible. It, this is the worst thing ever. I just have to eat oatmeal and chicken soup. Those are the two things. Cracker, I can have crackers. This is lunch today. A pack of crackers. But I'm going to dance the dance. There's going to be nausea. There's going to be pain. I have to sit in certain ways like this. Like this whole time I've been sitting like this. It's like a motherfucker. It's right there. feels like you're getting stabbed dead in the center. So I swore it was a hiatal hernia, but it actually was an ulcer. And ulcers are brutal. The lady said it. they wanted to give me some more meds, but I refused it because I'm going to go through my pain management tomorrow. But it's brutal. And it's probably all the coffee, the 20 years of popping 800 milligram Motrims like Tic Tac. When I got into fucking pain management, I was doing 5, 10, 325 Percocets a day for a year. That's 1,500 milligrams of Tylenol. It just burns right through your stomach. And then Copenhagen. So, I have three cans of Copenhagen. And then I go to pouches. And then by the end of summer, my friends, you're not going to see me spitting in a cup on the podcast because I'm going to quit dipping again. It leads to it. It assists it because you're always going to get little specks of tobacco in your stomach. And smoking, drinking, dipping, it flares GERD. And I'm just done. This... These miserable weeks. I can handle anything. You didn't see a mood change on the podcast when my knee was blown out or my back was blown out. I was still doing podcasts back in the day. But stomach pain, discomfort, nausea, 
I am a gigantic puss. I'm a five-year-old kid. By the time I get done with an eight-hour day where I still bust my ass, I still work, I still lift, even though I don't have to do anything, <clears throat> I'm still doing it because I don't want to lose my goddamn job because i got to pay for the front of the fucking Jeep. Done. Fall asleep at 7 o'clock every night, sleep till 5 in the morning. I'm just wasted. I am so fucking tired. I'm just tired. It just wears me down. So, moral of the story, don't take doxycycline. Also, take care of your stomachs. Watch what you eat. I'm bitching the shit out of my wife right now. She eats fucking sriracha and red pepper flakes like they're sprinkles on a donut. It's ridiculous. I mean, she doesn't even put them on donuts. No, I don't think she has. But she might as well have. It's on everything. And you ruin that lining to your stomach, you got acid in there. It'll fuck you up, and that's what's happened. I've ruined the lining right here and right here on the side. And it's just miserable. You know, I've heard people with ulcers, read stories about it. Yeah, you don't want one. It is it is the worst pain I've ever had. I've broken bones, got my back reconstructed. None of that pain was the same because <clears throat> it's right there. It's in your core, and it breaks you down. So don't be me. Take care of your tummy. Looking at Thursday uh, or Wednesday I have off. Going to try to do a show. Um, should be better because I'm just going back to the old ways. Eating less. I was trying to eat more for the wife. She's worried. It's a lot of weight to lose in a short time. But I'm a fat ass. I got I got weight to lose. I mean, I should weigh about 220. So I, I could lose another 40 and I won't look anorexic. But I'm back in 38s. That's pretty cool. I wore 38s. I don't remember last time I wore 38s and extra large shirts. It's been a long time. It really has. So we'll try a Wednesday. If not, um, I think, am I off on my weeks? I am off on my weeks. I don't see a doctor till the first. I got two more weeks of this shit. So I have next Sunday off. So Wednesday and Sunday, going to try. As long as my health stays up, we're going to do a short show Wednesday and a short show Sunday. Thursday, Sunday, there we go, Wednesday, Sunday, thanks for listening, my friends, I'm sorry the show is not as good as it used to be, I promise it's going to get better, I just got to get over this health shit, and then I can start waking up early like I want to, but I'm, man, since February 1st, my life has sucked, so bear with me, y'all take care, and be safe.